Today, we're going to uh, keep going in our uh, faithful series. And so, uh, today we're going to talk uh, about a specific issue that I think is, is, is true to all of us, right? Um, I, I've, never, I've never met a person, at least that I, that I can think of, I've never met somebody that I know that just craves hard times. Uh, if you do, something's wrong with you. Uh, you know, we, we have counselors we can hook you up with if you like pain. But, but nobody loves pain, right? I mean, we're, we're, we don't crave the struggle. But I'll tell you this. Uh, I haven't seen anything in my own Christian existence that is a better educator than pain. I haven't seen anything that is better than, than teaching me God's faithfulness than struggle. Uh, you know, anybody can thrive in the sunshine, right? But I heard one t- a guy say one time, if life was all sunshine, we'd all be deserts. Think about that. If life was all sunshine, we'd all be deserts. And, and, and the truth is, struggle is great. Um, there's a guy, uh, today I'm going to talk to you specifically about faithful to embrace struggle. We, we actually are free to embrace that. We don't have to shun it. Now, I didn't say you had to like it, but we, we hey, listen. We're going to face it. You know, let's just face that. We're going to face struggle. There, there's a guy that, that uh, I thought was really neat what he said. There's a guy named Seth Godin. And Seth, this is a picture of Seth. And Seth, you, you, many of you, if you're in business, you might have heard his name. But, but Seth Godin is considered really probably the greatest marketing mind alive today. He is, he is the guy that when major, major, major global companies get stuck, they call him. And he, he just thinks different. And, and I've listened to him many times. I've read some of his, his work. And he, he is a, a very intelligent person, but he's also very simple. I love his simplicity. And I was listening to a podcast. Uh, I, I'm kind of a podcast junkie of all sorts. And, and I was listening to a marketing podcast one time. And, and, and somebody asked him in that interview, what are your greatest successes? Now, that's a good question. What are your greatest successes? And you know what? He never, it's almost like he knew the question was coming. He never blinked. He never hesitated. And this is what he said. He said, my failures are my greatest trophies. I stand on a mountain of failures. My failures are my greatest trophies. I thought, what a magnificent statement. Because I can tell you in my own personal life, prosperity or times of prosperity haven't taught me a lot. But man, times of struggle have taught me so much about God about me, about life. I, I wouldn't take them back. I don't want to relive them. But man, the things that God has shown me in times of struggle, it, it, has, been, it has been truly life-altering. And I want to put in front of you this morning a very simple truth that God is sovereign in every struggle. Amen? God is sovereign in every struggle. Let me, let me tell you why I say that to you. You say, well, sovereign, Jason. Maybe, maybe you, you haven't heard, you don't understand what that word means in, in the faith sense. What sovereignty means is that there's, if you, biblically, what sovereignty means is there is never a time when God is out of control. Never. You know, God never, God never says, oops, right? Oh, didn't see that coming. Right? Aren't you glad? Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad that I've got a God that I serve that never is surprised, freaked out, caught off guard. He knows. 
So, so we're faithful to embrace struggle, and I want to walk you through that this morning. I'm going to give you a couple of truths, and I'm going to give you uh, some ideas. Because, I mean, whether you like it or not, you know, I, I heard one, some, someone say one time, the Christian life is this. The Christian life is either heading into a struggle, living in a struggle, or coming out of a struggle. And that's true. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're large. Sometimes those struggles stick around for a year or two. Sometimes they last for a week, but that's just life, friends. And if that's life, we've got to learn how to deal with it. In fact, I want to do, you know what I want to do? I want to do more than just get through a struggle, don't you? I want to thrive in it. I want to learn to thrive in a struggle. And that's hard. I mean, Michelle and I, uh, one time, were headed into this thing. We knew a struggle was coming. We could feel it, like it, just the way jobs were lining up and all this stuff, and, and uh, we, we had just had coal, and, and, and I remember telling her, I think we're about to hit a dry patch here. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if it's going to be dry financially, if it's going to be dry in our, our, our course of, of our journey. I, I don't really know. But I remember telling her on the front porch that day, here's what I don't want us to do. And I want us to hold each other accountable to this. I don't want us to brace for the storm, like put your rain gear on, brace for the storm, and keep your head down and just wait. Because if we do that, we can't look up. If we do that, if we, if we just brace for the next few months, we can't look up. I want my face up. I want to see. I want to see. I even know people that pray with their eyes open. I, I, one of my good friends one time, uh, he noticed that his daughter, his little girl, would pray with her eyes open. And he, he said, hey, baby, why do you, why do, you do that? You know, because, I mean, we're, we're Baptists. We don't, we don't do that. We, 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 we don't. Why do you do that? And, and, and you know what she said? How cool is this? She said, Daddy, I don't want to miss anything. I mean, if God chooses to answer that prayer right now, I want to see it. I'm like, hey, give me some of that, right? <laughs> that, that's good stuff. So let's talk about a couple of key truths before we get into the scripture this morning. As you, you're free to embrace struggle. You're not free to hate it. Okay, you, you can hate it, but you, you shouldn't. So, so let, me, let me give you a, a, a truth to, to stand up on this morning. Number one, God, God is never detached from my situation. See, that's actually how most of the ancient world looked at, at the scriptures. It's how most of the ancient world looked at God. It's how most people, in fact, our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, all those guys, they were deists. They believed that they believed in providence, but they believed in a God that set everything into motion and took his hands off. I'm going to tell you, the Bible doesn't say that. The, the Bible says God is, is very, very intimately involved in our lives. God is never detached from your situation. And, and this is not the scripture we're going to this morning, but, but if you look in Matthew chapter 10, the disciples were freaked out. I, I got it on the screen for you. You don't have to turn there. But the, the disciples were freaked out, and things were getting tough on the disciples. And so this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. He said, but when they hand you over, that is to the authorities, don't worry about how or what you're to say. For it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Are not two sparrows, at, this is at the, at the city market he's speaking of, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. That number's going down for me. God's got a big calculator. But the very head... Hairs on your head are, are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. 
What is he trying to tell his team? God knows where you are. God sees where you are. God knows exactly what you're walking into. God is never detached from your situation. God is always sovereign in the struggle. He's always sovereign in the struggle. I'll give you another truth about the struggle. God has a purpose for every struggle. He's not arbitrarily playing with your life. When you go through something tough, listen to me, friend. God's not playing around with you. That's how, actually how, the, how the, the Greeks looked at the gods. It's how the, 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 the Vikings looked at the gods, that the gods were what we call capricious, meaning that the gods were always playing around. That's why you had to keep them happy. Don't do anything to mess with them. I mean, people believe that. Don't, don't upset the gods. Listen, God is not God the Father. That's why when you look in the Genesis account, when you look at the Genesis account, by the way, this, this is not even in my notes, but I'm going to tell you this for a minute. It's why you see vague references. But Genesis wasn't meant to explain science. Science wasn't even science then. Science wasn't even discipline back then. No, Genesis... If you look, don't you think if God wanted to go into very specific detail about how he created Mars and Saturn, he would have done that? He doesn't. He said, I spoke it and then there was light. Trust me, I know how to do it. Right? That's, that's the idea of Genesis. So the idea of Genesis is, is not that there's a moon God and a river God and a sun God and a fertility God and a war God and a fire God. The whole idea of Genesis is, no, there's one God. There's not chaos. That's why he covers the creation account in a chapter. It's, it's not meant to explain science. It's meant to say there's one God and he's not a God of chaos. Aren't you glad? He's not a God of chaos. So, so God has a purpose for every struggle, right? He really does. So this morning, if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to James chapter 1. We're going to do two things today. We're going to go to two places. I normally don't make you do that, but it's 4th of July. We're going to live in freedom and have a little fun. So we're going to... We're going to go in Romans chapter 5, and we're going to be in James chapter 1. We're going to start in James chapter 1. So, so put something there in Romans 5, because we're about to hit that in a minute. So this is a great... And, and, and it's, it's interesting how you got James and Paul, in many ways, saying the same thing here. So in James chapter 1, let me get there myself. Um, so this was written to, to Jews, and, and it was written to Jews that are now Christians, and they're outside of their homeland, and... And so it's, uh, you, you've read this before, and it's James chapter 1. And, and in fact, I'll just use the one on the screen so that I'm consistent. So you, you've seen this before if you've been around the church life at all. It says, in James chapter 1, it says, Consider it joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, we're going to unpack that for a minute. Consider it joy. Notice it didn't say, there, there's no dadgum in that verse, right? It's a big theological word, dadgum, right? There's, there's no, I hate this. I don't want this. No, consider it joy. Joy's different from happy, by the way, right? Happy is a new truck until you get the payment, right? Happy, happy is, a, is a new job until you meet the weirdos, Right? Listen, stop bouncing jobs, all right? The same people follow you around. They just change names, all right? Trust me. Ask anybody. The same weirdos that were at your last job will be at the next one. And if they're not, they're going to hire the weirdos eventually. Either way, you're going to deal with the weirdos, right? Sometimes you're the weirdo. That's honest truth, right? 
I heard Rick Warren one time say that all of us have people in our lives that are extra grace required, EGR. They should come with a warning label, extra grace required, right? And then it hit me driving down the road that day that I thought, you know, sometimes that's me. Like, I, I hate to think it, but there's people that get up every day and they go, God, help me with Jason today. I'm like, my mom would never pray that. Why are you praying that? It's not fair. But it's true. We are all extra grace required sometimes. We really are. So Paul says, that, I mean, James says that, that you can consider it joy, brothers, when, in, when you go into trials. But now let's, let's unpack that for a minute. He, there's, a, there's a very real metric there, and I don't want you to miss it. When you encounter trials, knowing, now here we go, here's the metric, knowing that what? The testing of your faith produces patience, okay? Endurance, stamina, if you will. And let endurance have its perfect result. You know what he's saying? Don't rush it. Don't rush it. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. When you encounter a struggle, don't rush it. There's a process involved. Much like the human body. The human body is the only thing I've ever seen. The more you work it, the better it gets. Right? But it doesn't come, you know, hey, if, if, you know, if good health could come through sitting in a recliner eating Little Debbie's, then I'd be all in. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not playing. I'm all in. But it doesn't come that way, right? So, so let, don't, there's a process. Let the process take over. And, and it says, so let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Well, I want to I give you guys this morning a very real teaching tool. I'm serious. I do this all the time in my own personal Bible study. I just, I, I don't know where I came up with it. I don't know if it was invented in my own mind or if I got it from somewhere else. If it was, it's probably not original with me because I don't know that there's that much original thoughts left in the world. And so I probably read it somewhere, but, but I've been doing this most of my life. Many times you can get some real pavement, asphalt, street level stuff from the Word of God if you'll do something. Reverse the verse. You hear me? Reverse the verse. Flip it. Go backward and it'll tell you something. So let's go backward. You will, you will be in lack. We'll start at the very bottom at nothing. You will be in lack. You will be incomplete. You will not be mature if you... Do not have endurance, and endurance only comes through a testing of the faith. So if you try to microwave that, and if you try to push through that, then, then you're not going to be, you're not going to have anything that that verse just said. You follow? So reverse the verse. You're, you're not going to have biblical maturity. And I want to tell you that, that we see that on a, on, a, on a landscape in our society even right now. You may have heard me refer to, I think last year I talked to you for a minute, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring it up again because COVID's hit and this might not even be the same crowd anymore. I don't know. But there, there's, a fra- there's an article a friend of mine from Baylor sent me. Um, he's a professor at Baylor, he's been there 30 years, and, and, he, and he sent me an article uh, about a year or two ago. He said, hey, there's a new term we're seeing even at Baylor. It's called lawnmower parents. So lawnmower parents. I said, what is that about? And I read it. And he said, you know, you've always heard this term, helicopter parents, parents that want to control everything. He said, oh, no, no, it's even worse now. Let me tell you what a lawnmower parent is. If there is any struggle in front of their kid, they're going to mow it down. If there's any obstacle in front of their kid, they're going to mow it down because baby ain't going to struggle, right? Well, friends, I want you to think about something for a minute. 
seriously. You know, I think, I think as a generation, my generation, Generation X, people born between 65 and, 65 and 80 for the most part. I was born in 72. My generation's giving millennials a real hard time right now. We, we, we say a lot of things about millennials and their anxiety and, and sometimes as a generation, inability to cope. But I want to give you some words from a millennial friend of mine that, I, that was a good education for me because he and I were talking about this. His name's Noah. And, and Noah is, a, is an engineer. He's very smart. He's been a godsend to my life. He, he really has. I, I look up to him a lot and he's a good young man, loves Jesus and, and very intelligent, loves missions. I mean, I, I just could not be more proud of, of Noah than, than, than I am. And and he and I were having this conversation, kind of like, man, help me understand some of the things your generation goes through, because I, I, I really do. I know it's different from my generation, and I want to learn. And, and he said, you know, Jason, your generation as a whole, maybe not you, but your generation as a whole is pretty hard on, on my generation for our, for our generationally. And, and by the way, if you're a millennial in here, I'm not talking about you specifically, okay? I'm talking about the generation as a whole. He said, as, you, as, a, as a whole, he said, um, of, our, of our high anxiety levels. And our, and our inability to struggle sometimes. And he said, you know what? As a generation, we've got to own that because it's true. It's true. As a generation, we've got to own that. But your generation has to own something too. And you did it to us. I thought, what do you mean? He said, well, think about it. You told us if we would just show up, you'd give us a trophy. You told us that we were all all-stars even though we couldn't hit a baseball but you put us on the all-star team. You, you, your generation as a whole made it easy. You, you, you go to the teacher when, when, and he didn't say this, but it's, it's in effect he's saying, you, 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 your kid doesn't turn in their homework and they make a zero, but you go to the teacher and some say, what, well, what can they do to, to make it turn an F into an A? And so there's, there's all this there's pressure as parents because what ends up happening is we're so afraid. We're so afraid that our kids might struggle. And listen, I've got two boys. I thought, listen, I'm going to be the first one on record to say there's not an objective parent in the world. None of us look at our kids objectively. And all y'all that got grandkids, y'all are even worse. <laughs> My daddy told me after Cole was like three, he said, I just think you're being a little hard on him. I'm like... Who are you? Where are you from? And I've never met you in my life. Like you wore me out for everything. And I'm just, I just told him to pick up his room, Dad. You're just being a little hard on it. My gosh. But you know, you know what, you guys? Noah's right. He's right. We don't want our kids to struggle, but I want to tell you something. The reality is. I want to say something to all of you that are thinking about having kids. I mean it. Listen to me. Let your children experience failure. Do you know what Walt Disney said? I, I heard him say it. I watched the documentary. You know what Walt Disney said? Walt Disney said, my hope and prayer for every kid is that by the time they're 18, they've had a couple of catastrophic failures. Walt Disney said that. Because it'll teach them something. You see, if you don't let your children struggle. Now, I'm not talking about letting them drive off a cliff. I didn't say that. But friends, we've gone so far by that. Well, I mean, we're putting parachutes on cars when it comes to driving off a cliff. I mean, we're, we're, we're putting bubble wrap on everything they do. 
And I'm saying to you, your kids are never going to learn how to have confidence. They're never going to learn decision-making skills. They're never going to learn how to experience trial and that, you know what, the sun came up the next day. They made it. They made it. But if we keep mowing down obstacles, you know, think about this. Maybe the best thing that ever happened to your daughter is she got cut from the soccer team. It taught her how to work harder. By the way, that worked for Michael Jordan, you know. He was cut from the basketball team. Michael, how'd you like to be that coach? I cut Michael Jordan in the sophomore year of his high school life. You know what Michael Jordan's daddy told him when he came home mad? He said, get better, son. Get better. And next year you won't get cut. Do you know that that experience was so profound that when Michael Jordan retired, he brought it up in his Hall of Fame speech? Struggle is great. It is great. I'm telling you, it's hard. It's hard. But what we all want to do now, we want to blame the coach. And the coach is saying, no, I didn't say your son wasn't good at baseball. He is, but I can only put nine on the field. And there are nine that are better. It's not a character indictment. I love your kid. I can only put nine on the field. So what happens is we end up taking them into... So what, so I hear this coming from the corporate world. I'm not kidding. I, I know people in corporate that have had to put on the application, no parents in job interviews. I'm not making this up. Because is that the kid's fault? No. That's our fault. That's our fault. I'm getting excited. I'm going to calm down. What, what a, and, and I, I'm going to speak, okay, I'm going to speak as a parent for a minute, because this is what I think that I do. I, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm not up here trying to make you feel better about yourself. I'm in the struggle with you. I don't want to see my boys fail, but I'm going to tell you so often, the problem is not my sons. It's that I'm so afraid people are going to think I'm a bad parent because they missed an opportunity. Or what, oh God, what happens if they don't get a college scholarship? To, to, well, okay. Maybe God didn't want your daughter in the band. Maybe God didn't want your daughter playing tennis. And this was his way to teach her that. Maybe God calls your son to be a missionary in, in South America. And so he didn't, he didn't let him make the travel team. So that he could go to Fuge, get a calling from God to go to South America when he was a senior in high school. But if we mow down the obstacles and blame the coach, could it be that we're circumventing what God is doing? What I'm saying to you, friends, is as parents, we got to relax. we got to relax. We are putting so much pressure on our children that is often our insecurities. And it isn't fair. It isn't fair. Now, I've gone way past preaching to meddling, and I'm just saying, but I, 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 I found myself doing that, you know. My, okay, you think I'm, I'm going to tell you a story, okay? Just in case you think I'm just, you know, I'm going to give you any, this is Cole was five years old. He's not in here right now. He was five years old. T-ball. Here we go. T-ball. My first chance to coach, baby. And I'm coming out strong, right? T-ball. Bing. Hits it off the tee. 
he goes first, and the next kid comes up, and they, they're advancing, you know, and then he, then the next kid, he's hit third base, and, and uh, you know, Michelle's in the crowd, and, you know, I'm there, and, I, you know, and, and, and here he comes, and, and the kid hits off the tee, here comes Cole coming home. Well, he gets about from me to the podium, you know, he's only five, and he trips over his own feet, boom, and he falls about from here to the podium, right? Well, the pitcher drops the ball. They threw it in from the infield. The pitcher drops the ball. And he pick, when he picks it up, he sees Cole on the ground. And I know he's fixing to come. And he does. He puts it in his hand and starts running at Cole. And so here's what I do. Touch the plate! Touch the plate! I mean, Cole's like, he's half crying and he's falling. And he's like, I'm like, crawl! And, uh, you know, and he's crawling and he finally touched it. I did it. I'm not lying. And uh, he touches the plate. I'm like, yes! Go! You know. And, and then we got home. And it was, hey, moron. He's five. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but we won that dadgum game, baby. You know, right? So I'm just telling you, we, but we do this stuff. I'll tell you another true story about, I di- I'm not, I told you, I'm not perfect. I'll tell you a true story about, I read this article years ago. It's the coolest story ever about struggle. There was a teacher in elementary school. And all of her little kids, I think she was a third grade teacher, and all of her kids wanted to see it. They wanted to see a caterpillar become a butterfly. So, so it, it had a cocoon, you know, much like this. And, and uh, they could see the colors coming out, and, and they, could see, they got really excited. This is a true story. This is, this is awesome. This is a true story. And, and, and it said... The kids got all excited. They wanted to help it. And so as it began to come out of the cocoon, it, it was taking too long. And the kids thought something was happening. So they asked the teacher, can we take an X-Acto knife or a razor blade and, and split the cocoon and, and help it? And she said, sure. So she did. They Gently dissected the cocoon, and butterfly comes out, and they they come back to class a couple of days later, and the butterfly is dead, and they're all distraught. And she gathered the class around. I mean, this is an epic teacher. I don't know who this lady was, but she gathered the class around, and she said, "I want y'all to know that I knew it was going to die." They're like, "What?" She said, "Yeah." Here's what you don't know about caterpillars becoming butterflies. It takes the pressure of fighting through the cocoon to push the blood into the wings. So without struggle, it'll never fly. And without struggle, it'll never gain strength. Without struggle, it can't actually become who it was meant to be. So by making it easy, you killed it. Do you think those kids ever forgot that? They didn't, I guarantee you. The Bible says that as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another, right? Proverbs 27. Have you ever seen iron sharpen iron? Iron doesn't get sharp with a Kleenex, does it? You take a grinder to it, sparks fly, but in the end you get, you get a, a really sharp 
piece of iron. And I want to say to you, friends, that we're never going to have a strong faith in a Kleenex life. In fact, a strong faith, I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget to say it. A strong faith is never born from weak experiences. A strong faith is never born from weak experiences. And so this morning, I want you to understand how important this is. In, in Romans 5, I told you to go there. So let's, let's look at Romans 5 for a minute. Okay? And, and we're going to unpack this for just a second. Romans 5, verse 3. And this is what, I'll, I'll read it off the screen because I can't remember which version I used. And I'm going to read it up there. Romans 5, 3. Paul says, we also have joy. There's that word again. Different writer, same word. There's that joy. joy. We have joy with our troubles because we know that troubles produce patience. Patience produces character and character produces hope. And this hope will never disappoint us because God has poured out his love to fill our hearts. He gave us his love through the Holy Spirit, whom God has given us. So we're going to leave that verse up there for a minute. Because what Paul's getting at here is something very important. Notice he said, again, you can have joy. Joy is a choice. And so you can, you're free to embrace your struggles. You don't have to hate it. But notice what struggles do. It produces patience or stamina. Patience produces character, maturity. And character produces hope, which is perspective. Because God loves us. We're not left as orphans. Jesus made us that promise. I will not leave you as orphans. You, you, you are going to be empowered. So if you follow that verse in the, the metric that it's saying, or, or the algorithm, if you will, it kind of goes like this. Uh, go to the next image. It, it says it, that... that Troubles give us patience, endurance, that's stamina. So without, without pressure and time and struggle, you don't have stamina. How does a runner learn to run long distance? By running long distance. How, how, do, you, how do you get your cardio up? By running long distance, right? Character is produced once you have stamina and endurance. In other words, you're not going to get maturity without endurance. You're not. You're not going to get stamina. You're not going to get that without doing hard things. And, and once you learn to do hard things, you're going to get maturity. That is character. And character produces hope. Everything produces something else in this verse. Stamina, character, hope. Now, hope is perspective, by the way. And, and here's what he's getting at. He's not talking about, in fact, it says in Romans 5, 5, that hope doesn't disappoint. Now, let me tell you what he means by that. He's not talking about hoping against hope, because hope isn't a strategy, if you didn't know that. You know, hope isn't a strategy. He's talking about biblical hope. See, what Paul is saying is that we gain an eternal perspective when we struggle because we know that this life on this earth isn't heaven. Right? So many times... The reason we try to create a world where struggle doesn't exist is because we're trying to create a place where no mistakes can happen, and that's called heaven, right? That's called heaven. You're not going to get heaven on earth. Aren't you glad this isn't heaven? Aren't you glad there's more to come? Aren't you glad there's something better? Man, Yes, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do you know this is as bad as it gets? Whatever happens on this earth, this is as bad as it gets. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, 
This is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets. So we have a hope. And, and so, so the question then is, what do I do in my next season of struggle? Because you're going to have, a, in your next season of struggle, what are you going to do? Now I'm going I'm to give you, I'm going to give you four truths. Now, if you'll promise not to go to Facebook right now, I'm going to tell you, you can write these down, but they're on Facebook right now. There's an image on Clearview Baptist Church's Facebook account. Don't go there. I saw one of you already picking up your phone. Don't do it. Hey, you're not missing out. Relax. Nobody's going to take it down. I gave you this in, a, in, a, in an image that you can download this morning. We're going to put it on Instagram later today. What do you do in your next season of struggle? Because it's coming. I want to give you a biblical framework of what to do. Save this image. Put it on your phone. I'm not kidding. Save this image from Facebook. Put it on your phone. Send it to a friend. Here's what you do based on what the Bible. All, this, 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 this helps us. It comes from Acts chapter 4. We're not going to turn there. But here's the first thing I would, I would say to you. If you want the most biblical thing to do, Based on what in the Old Testament and the New Testament, what the believers of the Lord did when struggle hit, the first thing you can do is look at how they prayed. If you go back and you look at how they would start their prayers before they ever asked God anything, the first thing they tended to do, not 100% of the time, but most of the biblical prayers, Old and New Testament, speak his faithfulness back to him. Speak his faithfulness back to him. You see it in Nehemiah. You see it in, in a lot of the prophets. You see it when Peter and, and John were arrested, when they went back to the congregation in Acts 4. In Acts chapter 4, they go back to the congregation, and I can tell you how Americans would have prayed, oh God, get him out of jail, get him out of jail. By the way, if, me and, if I'm ever arrested for preaching the gospel, I don't mind you praying for me to get out of jail. All right? But don't let that be your first prayer. Because God may want me there. He might want me there. Because you see, my life isn't my own. It's not. And if I have to die for the Lord Jesus Christ, I can't imagine a better reason. That just comes with the deal for all of us, not just preachers. So speak his faithfulness back to him. You know why they did that? You know why the Jews did that? You know why the Hebrews did that? You know why the New Testament Christians did that? Because it reminded them, or this is good stuff right here, it reminded them of who they were talking to. They would tell God about the creation stories. Oh, God, you created the heavens and the earth. Oh, God, you did this. Oh, God, when you split the sea for the ancients. Oh, God, when you delivered your people over here. When you said to Assyria this. And they would tell God, and they were really telling themselves, this is the God we're praying to. Don't forget it. God can speak his faithfulness back to him. But I'll tell you what else you can do in a season of struggle, okay? Stop asking God for relief. Stop. And y'all, in a moment of true confession, there have been many times in my life where I have, the, my first response was, God, make it stop. What if he doesn't want it to stop? What if there's something inside of me that needs to go? Right? What if there's something inside of me that needs to go? I heard a friend of mine one time explain it this way. He said, you can take a sponge and you can fit it through a keyhole. Like, you know, the old skeleton keys that in the old doors of houses when you could look through the skeleton hole and you could see through. I know you don't all stand and look at me so holy like you never did that to your grandma or your granddad. What are they talking about in there, right? 
So you can see through the skeleton hole and see into the room. He said, you can take a sponge and you can get it through a keyhole, but I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. In order for that sponge to get through the keyhole, everything's got to be emptied out of it. And on the other side, it's going to have to change shape. See, the Bible tells us that we are to be more Christ-like. Sometimes God is putting struggle in you so that as you come out of the cocoon and you force all that stuff and all that, all that stuff's getting out of you and you're being purified in life. And so, so don't ask God for relief. In fact, I will tell you right now, don't get mad at me. If you come to me and you say, Jason, will you pray with me about something? Don't be shocked if I say no. Because sometimes I'll say, well, hold on a minute. Tell me the whole story. And then often, I've done it to some of you, because I've, I've had it done to me, and I learned a faithful lesson about praying one time. I'm not going to agree with you over something that God doesn't want for you. So often, our prayers are based in relief. And so, in fact, what I'll say to you is, tell me why you're asking that. Why are you asking that? Because, see, the things that you ask for reveal your motive. And so often, we just want it to stop. But God may not want it to stop. Listen, friends, there's only, there's only one thing going to take you off the planet. Everything else is just an education. All right? Just life. I'll give you another key truth when your next struggle comes. Start asking God for stamina to endure. If you look in Acts chapter 4, when the, when the disciples were arrested, one of the first things they prayed for was boldness. They prayed for boldness. Americans would have said, get Jason out of jail. They said, give us boldness to do more. How, how different is that than an American prayer? They were asking for boldness to actually do more of what got Peter and John in jail. So that's why you see Paul saying, I count it a privilege to suffer for Christ. So start asking God for stamina. Hey, God, don't let me hate this. Hey, God, give me perspective. Hey, God, give me the ability. What are you doing right here? Would you reveal it maybe? Or if you haven't, show me along the way. Start asking God. And then I will say one other thing key truth to you. This is, this is huge, huge in your next season of struggle. Start asking for faith to execute the next right step. So what do you mean, Jason? Well, if you look in James chapter 1, you're going to see that James talks about being a double-minded person. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all without partiality. But, if you, but he who asks should ask in faith. That doesn't mean, by the way, he's not talking about intellectual knowledge. No. He's talking about knowing that leads to doing. So he's not talking about intellectual knowledge of God. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all without partiality. But that man should ask in faith. For the one who doubts is like a ship driven on the sea, tossed to and fro, who is blown off course. That man ought not to expect to receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded and unstable in all his ways, James 1. So what is he getting at? Because when, if, you, if you're going to ask for wisdom, let me tell you, many of you do that. In fact, most corporate leaders that I talk to, 
Many of you in the corporate marketplace, you often say, Jason, pray for wisdom. And you're going to hear me say, you also need to pray for faith. To execute once the wisdom is given. Because if God gives you wisdom and you don't execute, you know why he calls the person in James chapter 1 a double-minded person? You know what double-minded means? Two-souled. It means that you are spiritually schizophrenic. And it means that you're going to do whatever you want to do. You ever met somebody that didn't matter what you said to them, they're going to do what they want to do? You ever met somebody like that? Didn't matter what you said, they were going to do what they wanted to do. You see, a two-souled person, a double-minded person, they're asking for God for wisdom, but it doesn't matter what wisdom he says. They're going to do what they want to do. I tell this to young couples all the time. When it comes to their sexual activity, be faithful to God. And don't ask God to bless the relationship you're in until you're willing to do that, because he's not. You've already proven that you don't care. You've already proven. And I'm not being harsh. I'm saying, if we want, if we want God to honor our prayers, well, then what makes us think he's going to do that if we're willfully disobedient? That doesn't, that doesn't line up with his thinking. So if you want wisdom, friend, you can get it. That's the good news. You can get it. But here's what you got to ask for. God, whatever you tell me to do, I will do it. I will do it. I don't know why. You're telling me that, but I'm going to do it. You see, that is faith that intends to obey. And a heart that intends to obey is a heart that God can use. If you want the wisdom of God, you can get it. But every time you need wisdom in a struggle, friends, listen to me. Pray for faith to execute the biblical decision. You are never going to experience the power of God when you are actively working against the very things he tells you to do. So when you need faith, ask for wisdom. And when you need wisdom, ask for faith to execute. The next right step, and if if your life's anything like mine, I can tell you what I've had to learn. I can't tell you a single time in my life, not once, that God gave me a roadmap. He just doesn't do that. He'll give you the next right step, though. And the next right step may be go and say you're sorry. Okay. The next right step may be resign. That's all you get. Okay. The next right step may be Stop sinning. The next right step may be trust me. Okay. The next right step looks a lot of different things, but when you ask for it, let him know you're going to do it. And I'm telling you, the season of struggle, God is sovereign in the struggle. So this is the graphic you're going to see on Facebook this morning that you can go and get. You don't have to take a picture of it. I love when y'all do that sometimes. It makes me feel like I'm a pretty good preacher when y'all are taking pictures of the screen, but you don't have to do that this morning. Um, but that's going to be on, on, on Facebook at Clearview's Facebook platform. And I want to end by just reminding you, good friend, okay? By the way, you could be a great digital missionary today. Every single one of you, every single one of you have friends or cousins, or grandkids, or kids that are going through struggle. 
Download that from the Facebook page and send it to them with a link maybe to this sermon. You can be a digital missionary today. You can be a digital missionary. It will work. I want to leave you with a very simple truth. God is sovereign in the struggle. Aren't you glad? You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.